Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway Thursday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Hutton and Withrow and we'll be joined by Trey Wallace of Outkick coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll talk SEC headlines. A coach leaving Arkansas for TCU. Ole Miss loading up at quarterback through the portal yet again. Crazy. Kiffin's getting after it. Are these quarterbacks looking at the rosters they're going to? Are they following the news? Uh, Yeah, that... Kiffin's at it again. We'll detail that with Trey. Also, Armando Salguero on today's program. He'll be on in hour number two. We'll dive into all of the NFL matchups for the divisional weekend. Traditionally, the best weekend, top to bottom, with the best matchups in the NFL uh, for the entire playoff run. One big thing on every game later in the show. Chad, we start where uh, the media is at it again, trying to make a player appear in the wrong even though he did nothing wrong and that was Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov who elected not to go out for warm-ups wearing the Pride Night uniform the sweater that the Philadelphia Flyers uh, put on during warm-ups only uh, elected to stay in the locker room due to his religious beliefs he was not going to support that cause based on wearing that logo colors uh, emblem, whatever the case, that NHL teams do from time to time for a variety of causes and issues. He's dominated headlines after deciding not to wear that jersey. But due to that, a the, the woke mob of sports media is after him who claim to be all-inclusive. They are trying to excommunicate him, so to speak, for choosing not to do this, doing everything from berating the league for not penalizing the Flyers who didn't penalize and won't penalize Provorov to John Tortorella who didn't bench him and didn't even think about doing it and has doubled down today in a press conference. Chad, this is the classic case of groupthink. It is. And um, it's one of those that I'm almost numb to it now. Yeah. And we're going to get into a specific interaction I had with an ESPN writer who I think just had a horrifically bad opinion on all of this doesn't mean that I think this is a dumb person or that I wouldn't have, if given the opportunity to speak with this person, would do it. In fact, we invited this person on. We're going to get into that in a little bit. I think we should hear from Provorov first because it's important for him and hearing how he clearly laid out why he didn't take the ice in the Pride Night sweater for warm-ups. Here is Ivan Provorov postgame. Everybody, I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. How, how do you really just believe? Any, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. Just, uh, can you just clarify what is your religion? Russian Orthodox. So with the game tonight, Ivan, um, obviously Kevin Hughes got a hat trick and uh, Erasmus' first goal of the season. Can you walk us through the emotion that the team is feeling in that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
There's Ivan Provorov postgame. Yeah, I mean, it was short but sweet. And, uh, you know, he said in there, I, re- I respect everyone. It's my uh, decision based on my religion. John Tortorella, the head coach, afterward backed him, saying it's one of the things he admires about him, that he took a stance on it, and he's going to stand behind his guy and had no big issue with it. Um, my initial opinion on this, Hutton, is simply there are millions and millions of people who disagree with homosexuality based on their religion. Not just Christian people, Muslim people. There's other religions that disagree with it as a lifestyle. A key word in this with Provorov was respect. There is a difference between respecting something and glorifying something. And that's what I don't think people understand. If you don't fly the flag, if you're not flying the rainbow flag, then you are disrespectful of everyone that's homosexual, and you hate everyone that's homosexual. That's the opposite of Christian teaching. It's not to hate someone. It's not to disrespect them, right? And that's the light they're trying to paint him in. That's Absolutely. And that's not what he said. I think he was very calm in what he said and said, I'm doing it. I respect them. I respect decisions. This is my decision to do it. Respect it as well. And I think that's a key difference here automatically taking this as, well, he doesn't respect, in fact, he hates all people that are homosexual versus this is a guy who simply doesn't want to glorify homosexuality. But, of course, the media took it, Hutton, and completely ran with it in a different direction. Yes, and the NHL had a very measured response when asked to comment on this um, and did so just through a statement that they released. The hockey is for everyone. That is their uh, umbrella uh, initiative that each team can choose to do with however they so choose on a, a nightly basis, a monthly basis, whatever they want to do within their own market, within their own organization and arena. And the statement uh, in regards to this, Hockey's for Everyone is the umbrella initiative under which the league encourages clubs to celebrate the diversity that exists in their respective markets and to work to achieve more welcoming and inclusive environments for all fans. Clubs decide whom to celebrate, when and how, with league counsel and support. Players are free to decide which initiatives to support, and we continue to encourage their voices and perspectives on social and cultural issues. That from the NHL, which is perfectly said. They're saying in their own statement that the players can decide whether or not they want to support any of the initiative that the team is then pushing. And in this case, it was Pride Night. There was also a military night recently where i'm on the nhl's website right now not just military night every club can choose anything they want to do what they support there's hispanic and latin american heritage there's asian and pacific islander there's the willie o'ree community hero award celebrating black history gender equality celebrating indigenous people's heritage disabled hockey these are all different initiatives it's not just pride night for every NHL team, it's one of many initiatives. And this is very much a just corporate thing. Uh, it's It sounds great when it's written out in a statement, but I don't really know what it means other than they're giving money to these charities. Because at the NHL's website, it says to start for hockey is for everyone. Hockey is for everyone uses the game of hockey and the league's global influence to drive positive social change and foster more inclusive communities. It's a marketing opportunity. Hockey in the NHL wants to sell tickets and gear to everyone, like every good business would want to do if you want to be global. They want everyone to buy their product and to enjoy their product. That's what this is. It's a big, big marketing push 
to people who are not normally going to the rink to games, right. that they're trying to show that, hey, this is not a bad environment for you. We welcome you. We'll sell tickets to you as well. And they're doing that while driving money to different various charities. So it's I want to be clear on what hockey is for everyone is and what this initiative means. Well, and it was, I, I thought, very succinct and, and under, you can understand where the league's coming from on this. The play, it's up to the players to get behind whatever initiative the, the club is doing at that given time on that given night. And Provorov chose not to join them in warm-ups wearing this Pride Night sweater. Well, uh, the NHL released this statement. And then on their network, NHL Network, here's EJ Raddick with a completely opposite end of the spectrum take from the own league that said that what he did, what Provorov did, was perfectly fine based on the initiatives they set forth. And Ivan Provorov can get on a plane any day he wants and go back to a place where he feels more comfortable, take less money, and get on with his life that way. If it's that problematic for him. And he's been in North America for a long time. He played in the Western Hockey League. He's now been in Philadelphia for many years. If this is that much of a problem for him to maybe assimilate into his group of teammates and in the community and here in this country, that's okay. Listen, you can feel any way you want. But the beauty is, if it bothers you that much, there's always a chance to leave, go back where you feel more comfortable. I understand there's a conflict of sorts going on over there. Maybe get involved. So... The ridiculous. I mean, the, the idea that because the guy didn't wear a Pride Night warm-up, that he's got to go back to Russia and join the fight uh, against the Ukraine. I mean, that's what it, that is insanity um, and, and awful perspective for uh, a league that says what that club did in playing him. And, and again, he did nothing wrong. The league's acknowledging that. But the media spin on this wants everyone to believe that this guy is homophobic. Well, the the hypocrisy of it. I, I think that we're, we're at such a place right now that people are so blinded by their dislike, or dare I even say hatred, of another side or perceived side of some issue right. that it blinds them to their own hypocrisy. I'd love to see E.J. Raddick talk about the border crisis with the U.S. and Mexico and use words like assimilate or get out. I mean, that's what he's telling Someone that's living in the United States right now, and Ivan Provorov, assimilate and do what we're saying or leave. Is he taking the same stance with everything? If someone agrees not. with everything he's saying, is he saying that to them, or is that not inclusive enough? We're going to get a lot into inclusivity in these arguments from people, and I think that's the most disappointing part of this, is too often we see people that on their Twitter bios on everything they write or say, they want to trumpet inclusivity. And the moment you disagree with that person, they're the least inclusive people on planet Earth. They're blocking you on Twitter. They're refusing to talk to you. They won't engage at all. And that's very disappointing to me. And I think too many people have allowed their hatred of another side or another viewpoint cloud their own self-awareness and the lack of ability to acknowledge hypocrisy when they say something like what EJ Raddick just said, which to me is completely ludicrous. Yeah, and, and a case in point is Greg Wyshynski, uh, covers the NHL for ESPN, who uh, jumped out and, and had a, a photo of an autographed uh, warm-up from Military Appreciation Night where uh, Provorov had worn it and signed it. 
and said, oh, this is a guy that's only going to wear things that he, he backs, that he trumpets. And I'm thinking, of, yeah. of yeah. course. Uh, that's what you do. That's what humans do. They that, back the things they want to back. That's the definition of wearing a uniform, a right. jersey. Like fans show up and wear a jersey of their team because they back their team. He was backing that initiative just like others last night or Tuesday night were doing that in Philadelphia. Well, we reached out the show through um, Outkick 360 to Greg Wyshynski, and he subtweeted Outkick uh, earlier today, an outlet that accused me of trying to outwoke his woke counterparts and called me stupid, has asked me to create free on-air content for one of their performative outrage shows. They were kicked out of my inbox. I like what he did there with kicked out instead of outkicked at the inbox line. Nice job, Greg. But a uh, terrible job of actually coming on a forum and having a discussion because you disagree with the way Ivan Provorov approached this on Tuesday night. Um, and you disagree like everyone else disagrees because it's the group mob mentality of Chad classic groupthink. You had a great response to him. Yeah, I retweeted Greg and I said the following. It was the show I host, Outkick 360, that invited you on to discuss your opinion because I believe in engaging with those I may disagree with to allow them to be heard, clearly not something you value. So let's get into this with Greg Wyshynski. Uh, he used the phrase performative outrage. What is he doing exactly? Let's, let's ask ourselves that question. What is he doing with that tweet and his string of tweets? He's outraged over something that, to me, I think is performative, but his audience is media. And I, I hate to break this to everyone that doesn't understand this. Most members of the media tend to lean left and are liberal, very progressive people. I don't have a big issue with people with their politics. I don't have an issue with people that are liberal. I don't have an issue with people that vote Democrat all the time. I don't have an issue with people that say that they're progressive. What I do have an issue with, Greg, or anyone else, is someone that's going to sit there and spout these principles of inclusivity and then put something like that out into the world. I disagree with this person or this group, so I'm not even going to engage in, with them respectfully. I'm happy to have you on the show. I'm not mad at you. This makes me laugh. At times, you have to laugh in order not to rage scream into a pillow because that's where we are right now. I don't blame Greg Wyshynski. Greg Wyshynski is merely a byproduct of this media echo chamber that exists. It exists in sports. It exists in a lot of other places, too. When you follow enough people on Twitter that say all the same things you say, and the right is guilty of this, too, at times. Don't get me wrong. But when you're doing that and you're not challenging yourself mentally and you're not looking at things from different sides, then you get to a point where you're Greg Wyshynski and you can't acknowledge your own hypocrisy. I work for OutKick. I don't agree with everything OutKick says. I hope I never agree with everything OutKick says. That's what critical thinking is. We cannot lose our ability to critically think in this country. And that's the issue that I have. This is a lack of critical thinking. This is an emotional response from him that makes no sense. I'd love to have Greg on this show. He won't do it because either he's afraid or he thinks I'm dumb or a redneck or a MAGA or whatever. I've been called all these things. Not going to insult me one bit. But I'd love to ask this question. What's your stance on Colin Kaepernick and NFL players kneeling for the anthem? Did you have a problem with that protest? 
If you didn't, then why do you have a problem with a professed Christian man, which, by the way, in the Bible, it says homosexuality is a sin if you continue it as a lifestyle. That's what the Bible says. If a, a Christian man is saying that and saying, I'm not going to glorify that. I'm going to respect everyone. He's not saying anything about hate. He's not telling people to go out and do mean things to homosexual people. He's saying, I'm not going to put on the jersey on Pride Night and glorify that. Again, respect versus glorification. We're talking about two different things. And whether or not you agree with Provorov or not, can we all agree that if you're going to trumpet the right to protest and the right to freedom of religion and all of these things that make this country so great, and quite frankly, that make the country that Provorov comes from not so great, that a lot of people are pointing out, like E.J. Raddick, then we have to come to a conclusion at some point that what he did really isn't that bad. And to have this level of outrage and act like, well, by doing this, he's saying he hates everyone that's homosexual, I think that's a bridge too far. And he didn't and I would actively, love to have this conversation with Greg. And he didn't actively, Provorov, seek out the attention for doing this. The media stirred all... The, like the Protest is a strong way to go about saying, calling what that was a protest. He did not actively seek out and make a stand against Pride Night. He just didn't take the ice for warm-ups wearing the sweater that the club put out for Pride Night. And then played. And the controversy comes from the storm that the media created during the game and afterwards. And it's not the and first time. And when they don't hear the answer they want to hear, then it's on to the next thing and on to the next topic and the, the next replay of the reaction, like they're doing with John Tortorella. Um, and they're pointing out the fact that he once said that he would bench players that wouldn't stand for the anthem. And he, Tortorella uh, said today... Uh, back in back in 2016, he said, any of my players sit on the bench for the anthem, they will sit there the rest of the game. He was asked about that because he didn't sit uh, Provorov Tuesday. And Tortorella had a great response to the media. I, I said the player would sit for the rest of the game. I was wrong. I learned a lot through that experience. My feelings toward any type of protest to the flag during the anthem, it disgusts me. To this day, it disgusts me. It shouldn't be done. Those are my feelings. I can't push those feelings onto someone else. So I was wrong in saying that back then. That's the coach for the Flyers who refused to sit Provorov for not doing anything wrong. Logically, I don't know how um, you can stir that up anymore or at all based on the way that the club, the coach, and very specifically, the player handled this. It's the media that's handling it the wrong way. Trying to make controversy out of nothing which as a media group, we're very good at doing. Yes. Forced to t discuss things for the sake of discussing things uh, and discusses at, at something that Chad and I will try to do. Argue a point and not have a discussion is what the vast majority of me media members are very good at. And, and the, the biggest issue I have with these media-created storms that we've seen, you know, Jenna Lane comes to mind uh, talking to Todd Bowles about being a minority coach and not getting the answer she wanted right. and continuing to double down. Uh, every media member who would sit and look at the national anthem to see which players didn't kneel for the yeah, anthem, roll call, and then ask them about it, right? Yeah, attendance. Or, or we've seen stories where college teams players have been disciplined for not kneeling or protesting something when the rest of their team does it. All of these things that are created within the media to go against the right of the individual, I I have a big problem with. And again, on this show. 
We're going to talk about the issues. We're not creating anything. We're giving you our honest opinion on it after researching it and reading about it as much as we can. And we're going to offer those opinions. And I welcome people who disagree to join this show. I'm not mad at Greg Wyshynski. I'm not. Again, I think that his viewpoint is very much a byproduct of a media echo chamber that exists. I'm happy to have him on and talk about this issue with him. I'm happy to talk to uh, one of the people listening right now or watching on our YouTube page who responds and says, religious people love just falling back on the discrimination preached by their fictional books instead of getting with the times and supporting everyone's rights. Where is this player infringing on anyone's rights? Uh, Separate of everything else you're saying about religious books being works of fiction or whatever. What is Provorov doing to restrict anyone's rights? I've read four different articles talking about him as a teammate and saying that he's never discriminated against anyone. He's never spoken poorly of anyone. He's been a great teammate to other people. He answered and said, it's my decision based on my religious beliefs. I respect everyone. Where is the disrespect? Where is he infringing on anyone's rights? Why does everything have to be all or nothing? Where this piece of propaganda, or you hate all of these people, or you hate this group, or you're not in line with this. It's it's remarkable how dumb we've all become. Yes. It really is. And to the person posting that, it's remarkable that you take what he did and you're probably following Greg Wyshynski and EJ Raddick and everyone who's just regurgitating the same tire takes and creating a story. It's just not true. Point to me where he's restricting someone's rights. Were gay people not allowed admission into that game because of his stance? Is something else going on here that we're not seeing? Everyone has the right to protest whether you like it or not. People on the right were told that for years based on people kneeling for the anthem. It goes both ways. Call it both ways, Hutton. We had people used to say that, right, with the officiating. Got to call it both ways and point out your own hypocrisy. That's how dumb we've gotten as a society. No one can see their own hypocrisy anymore. Greg Wyshynski being one of them. And again, come on the show whenever you want. Standing invite. Trey Wallace will be on the show when we return. SEC headlines. It includes, Chad, an Arkansas coach lateral move headed to TCU. We'll discuss why they're leaving Arkansas. And, man, uh, Cruton is happening for Kiffin again. Loading up at quarterback through the portal. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton and Withrow with you. Outkick 360 rolls on. There is an epic three-way quarterback battle set to take place in Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, yeah. What a, uh, a change of a quarterback room for Lane Kiffin and company, where he's at it again. He adds Jackson Dart last year during the transfer portal uh, through it. And then this year, he's already added two uh, Walker Howard, former five-star quarterback at LSU, announces 
He's going to Ole Miss, choosing Ole Miss over TCU Florida and others. That turned heads. And then less than 24 hours later, Spencer Sanders, former Oklahoma State QB, announces he's also going to play for Lane Kiffin in 2023. With more, Trey Wallace joins us, HowKick.com. Trey, hope you're doing well. And we certainly know Kiffin is when it comes to QB recruiting. Uh, Lane Kiffin woke up during the offseason and said, screw it, I'm going to go find every darn quarterback that I can that's good in the portal and get into Oxford. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I <laughs> you got to give him credit for what he's done. Uh, I, I would imagine one of these guys is – Probably going to transfer out after the spring if they don't win the battle. I mean, that, that's a that's a stud filled room, and I get. I mean, I, you got to give them a lot of credit. I I would love to be in on the meetings that sold Howard and Spencer Sanders on coming to Oxford and competing for this job. So, I mean, that, I have to tip to Kiffin, man. Big big time moves, and he's taking all the darn quarterbacks away from the rest of the country. And what's interesting is, had he gone to you know a, another SEC school, you can really name them. Um, I think immediately you're thinking, okay, what what's this guy getting paid? And just based on surveying what's happening in Oxford compared to other universities, I mean, it's not like they're known for name, image, likeness. And uh, uh, pay for play, right? I mean, I, it's going on yeah. everywhere, but not to the extent that you can find across the conference if you want to play in the conference. No, I, I think when you really break it down and you look at it, I mean, yeah, it's not like Ole Miss has has been at the forefront of, of NIL, but I will say that they have gone out and found the players that they've needed for the system. You remember last season – uh, Ole Miss went out and got Zach Evans from the transfer portal. Highly touted running back out of TCU. Uh, there was some NIL money involved in that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go out and find playmakers, the same way they did with Jackson Dart. So you you turn around and you do that again this year where you know, everybody kind of thought, okay, maybe this thing's coming to a rest when it comes to the transfer portal quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you, you look around the country, Spencer Sanders was a guy who still hadn't made a decision and all of a sudden, he, he ends up in Oxford. And, and along with that, Walker Howard at the same time. And, and I think this is – look, what did Lane Kiffin talk about when he was you know, going back and forth with Auburn? Uh, NIL, the collective, the Grove Collective, having money around for, for situations like this. And uh, they went out and they, they got two good quarterbacks to fill the room. Um, now I'm interested to see what they do with the rest of the offense. But, damn, that's it. That's a strong move from Lane Kiffin telling everybody else, sorry, you're not getting a starting quarterback. I'm going to take them, and I'm just going to put them over here in my quarterback room where you can't have them. Strong move by TCU also, and I'll counter and say strong move by Arkansas where uh, clearly Sam Pittman had Dan Enos on the old speed dial and had him ready to go from Maryland right away. That took no time to find the replacement for Kendall Bryles. What, what do you think about both moves there, Trey? I think it was smart. I think when Sam Pittman first realized that Kendall Browse was interviewing for Mississippi State's OC job, uh, he had his backup ready to go. So when Kendall Browse leaves for TCU, and he you know he stays, puts out the tweet, "I'm ready to run it back next year with KJ Jefferson," then all of a sudden, what two weeks later, he's taking the TCU OC job after Garrett Riley left for Clemson, and and so. Good on Sam Pittman. He's like, well, wait a minute. Okay, I got this guy who's been 
the OC at Maryland. He's been here before in Arkansas. He worked with, uh, you know, Tua's little brother, Taloa Tagalavoya, uh, last season. And, and now you set yourself up with the guy that can come in and run the offense that K.J. Jefferson wants to run, along with Rock Sanders. And you've got yourself an offensive coordinator that works out. So, I mean, you know, you lose Kendall Browns, you're like, okay, that is a big loss. Like, Kendall Browns did some really good things for Arkansas. Then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to call Dan Enos, and he's going to come over here, and he's going to take the job like that. Oh, and by the way, he's going to be on campus within 12 hours. We're going to take a picture, and he's going to be on the road. So Sam Pittman knew what he was doing once Kendall Browns was flirting around with other teams. And I think, really, Chad, like you said, all he had to do was pick up the call phone and say, hey, man, uh, Browns is gone. You want to come to Fayetteville? Okay, you do? All right, let's get you on the plane, get you some gear, and start recruiting. Trey, what's the perception now of Arkansas and the football program compared to last year if we were having this conversation? I, 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 well, last year, was, last year was disappointing to me because of the talent that they had and you know the coordinators that they had with Barry Odom and Kendall Browse at the same spot. You had K.J. Jefferson. You had talent at the wide receiver position. I think, I think now it's kind of a new chapter. It's like, okay – what does Dan Enos do to come in and kind of switch things up a little bit on offense? Maybe not change a lot when it comes to what Browse ran. But let's not forget Dow Loggins is gone as well. Uh, pretty darn good recruiter who is now the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. So you're replacing five different coaches off the staff from last season. But I think Arkansas has done and Sam Pittman has done a, a pretty decent job of, of trying to put that back together. Now the biggest thing is, can you take advantage of what you have returning next season? Um, you, can't, you can't, you know, digress. You, you can't come out next year and win five, six games. Next year needs to be an eight-win type of season, nine-win type of season, especially when you have a, uh, a star quarterback like you do. So Sam Pittman's really flipping things around uh, in Fayetteville. So what's next for Jaden Rashada? Is it committing to another school or is it suing the Gator Collective? Uh, which one comes first? And do you think the latter is going to happen eventually? If Florida, let me rephrase this. We have to be careful when we say if Florida does something or the Gator Collective. If the Gator Collective and the Gator Guard um, do not finish up any type of – the main problem was they didn't have the money after they said they had the money with Jaden Rashada, something I talked to you guys about last week. And Jaden Rashada finally was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to go enter the, the – I'm going to try to go enter the portal per se, which meaning I'm going to get try to get my release from the NCAA. I've been told Florida is not going to fight this, but the Gator Collective and the Gator Guard would love for Jaden Rashada to sign an NDA where he will not release everything that went down over the last couple weeks and months uh, in Gainesville, when it came when it comes to the money, the NIL, uh, Florida does not want all of that out there. I mean, I reported this last night. You know, they were so high on Jaden Rashada at Florida that they paid six figures to the Miami Collective just to get him out of his NIL contract with John Ruiz and Life Wallet. So that's how much they wanted Jaden Rashada. So now that he's not there anymore. Um, and the way that it went down, you know, I, the, the, the litigation part is something that I think the family is threatening in case that 
they they want to put up a fight when it comes to his release. Um, I, I think overall, when you look at it, there's a couple schools out there. When I say a couple, it's more than a couple, but schools that have not really gone back into semester yet or have like a little bit of a later drop ad date compared to certain schools, maybe in the SEC or ACC or whatnot. I'm not talking about like a lot of West Coast teams. Um, so maybe there is a fit there, um, but he's going to have to get a release. I don't think this is going to take a long time from the NCAA. I think Florida is going to sign off on it because Florida knows that their collective screwed up on this whole situation. And it's just going to be tough on Billy Napier going forward when it comes to recruiting. So, look, Jaden Rashada, his family would not like to sue the collective. But if it comes down to it and things get even messier, and I don't know how they get messier, but they can, I think that they've hired the right attorneys to take care of business if needed. Let's talk a little bit of college basketball, Trey. You had Aaron Torres on your podcast this week, who I know is really close to that Kentucky program. Uh, do you feel like they figured it out in Knoxville with that big win and they're going to start to get things rolling a little bit now moving forward? I, I watch Oscar Shebway and I think this guy's too good to not carry Kentucky on his back to at least an eight seed or nine seed in the NCAA tournament when all things are said and done. I mean, you would think so. He had a double-double. It was a monster double-double against Georgia. I think it was 33 points, 27 rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. It could be off a couple numbers on each side. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, somewhat. You know, they, they play good against Tennessee defensively. Then they come out against Georgia, you know, and Georgia's got a lead at halftime. And Georgia's leading for a good amount of time in the second half. Kentucky starts going on a little run. I mean, you know, maybe they turned a corner. I, I, I think that, you know, we need to see more out of, you know, out of Wheeler. I think Oscar's Shibway is maybe the, the best player in the country. Uh, if not, he is definitely in the top three. Um, and, and I think, look, Payson Wallace, he's got to work on a couple things with his back, dealing with spasms. Whatnot. If Cal could put this team together, Chad, the way that he does in the past, and they make runs – uh, not counting last year when they lost to St. Peter's, but make runs in March or get better, you know, in February and March, then yeah. Like you're, maybe this Tennessee game was the turning point in the season. But if they come out and they play like they did against Georgia and you're hanging in there with different teams that you shouldn't be hanging in there with, you know, fans are going to get restless. It, it's, you know, it, it's crazy, but this is college athletics. You know, we got one minute, Kentucky fans are wanting to fire Calipari or him take the damn Texas job. The next minute, they love him. Thank you for beating Tennessee. Can we please have another? It's like, make your mind up in Lexington already. It, it's, it also, yeah, Trey, it took yeah, just a – and this happens in basketball, and Kentucky played great defense, rebounded, all those things. It took a legendarily bad performance by Tennessee at home with six missed layups. No one could buy a three. They shot 12% from three. And Tennessee still manages to have the ball down 58 to 56 with 50 seconds left in that game with two shots at the goal that would have tied it. If a foul's called, they go to the free throw line. I'm not blaming the officiating, but it was still a very close game even with that. I'm expecting at some point yeah. Kentucky to steamroll somebody the way they did on the road at Kansas a year ago. That's when I'm going to say, okay, now they've woken up and now they're ready to go when they go out against a good opponent and look great. Tennessee was playing like that team that plays the Harlem Globetrotters. They're trying not to win it. They have an opportunity to win it, but they were doing everything in their power not to. That's what they were doing against Kentucky. 
um, you know, with their shooting, horrible layups, offense was bad. Um, I, I, I do think there might be a breakout game. Maybe it's the, the SEC, uh, you know, Big 12 challenge. When that goes down, you know, in a couple of weeks where, where, where Kentucky kind of explodes on somebody um, or, you know, it comes down to something in SEC play where they get a big win over a Florida team or an LSU team that's bad. It, it's kind of weird this year in the SEC where you've got a number of teams that, that just aren't playing up to the count. I mean, hell, Arkansas is one in five in the conference after the loss last night to Missouri. So there's a couple opportunities for Kentucky to, to really slam it home on somebody, no pun intended. So, Trey, we have breaking news. This in the last five minutes. The SEC yes. has admitted fault in officiating in an official statement. And I take this to heart because I bet on Arkansas on the money line last <laughs> night. And not only oh, did I bet on Arkansas, call. I convinced everyone in this studio <laughs> to bet on Arkansas. They're up 10 with three minutes left at Missouri. Yep. They find a way to lose, but in part because of the worst foul call on an and one I've seen where a guy's not two feet from someone. And now I, they didn't comment on that, but the SEC said that the officials were incorrectly told by a review official that something they were reviewing on a block charge call under two minutes was not reviewable and acknowledges it would have reversed another huge mm. call in the final minute and a half of that game that would have swung it for Arkansas. I'm mad because my money took a hit on this one, but at least I'm a little bit happy, Trey, that the SEC actually acknowledged it and said, yeah, we, we badly screwed this game up. I'm shocked. I, I'm literally shaking right now to hear the SEC actually come out and change something when it comes to officiating. That play last night you're talking about as well, or the foul, if you remember that movie, The Sixth Man, where one of the Waynes brothers is a ghost and he's out here like hitting people and fouling people. What that's a reference. Exactly what that, that's exactly what that play reminded me of last night. It was like, who the hell hit him? Where did he come from that had to be a ghost? So congrats to the SEC for admitting fault. Now let's see how many times they do that once football season comes back around next year. Trey, do you think the the emotion for the Alabama basketball team um, that we'll see more of that, and it plays a factor for them moving forward more than it did this past week against Vandy, where you know they have a teammate who is arrested and charged, uh, one of two suspects in a capital murder case, and you know they broke down after the game, but they did enough here at Memorial Gym to leave with a win by doing so. Chad made the point; he's like, eventually. You know, it catches up to them where it actually affects them on the court. Yeah, I, I think you're going to find a moment where they just become overwhelmed and tired. They got through that game uh, the other night that, that was tough, you know, at, at Memorial, uh, where Vanderbilt put up a fight down there kind of towards the end. It was, it was almost, you know, they just gutted through that one, to be honest with you. And, and they don't talk about it after the game, and some of the players did as well. Um, they're, they're, it's going to be a lot, you know, when more stuff comes out about the case more more details, um, maybe there's a moment where these, these players, like, like the first couple of days, like, you know, you're just kind of in shock uh, when it comes to something like that. Somebody, you know, that's involved in the shooting or something like that. I, I kind of have personal experience in a way with something like that. In your first couple of days, you're, you're like, okay, what just happened? How did that happen? You, know, you have a lot of questions, and you're just kind of numb to it. Then you got to go out and you have to perform or, or do something. There, I, I do think there's going to come a time in the next week or so where, you know, these players are, you know, like, wow, okay, 
I'm overwhelmed here. We got to do something, you know, take another day or two off practice, talk to some mental health reps that are on campus. I, I think that's the biggest thing. I think nowadays we get into a time where men do not think that it is uh, the right thing to do uh, to reach out and to talk with people. If you're going through things, they think it's unmasculine uh, to, to, to sit down and talk with somebody, express your feelings. I think when it comes to, you know, the Alabama basketball team or anybody going through something like that, I, I think it's good for them to get as much as they can off their chest um, because, you know, and this is a good team as well. And I, I don't want to, I hate to talk about basketball and how they're going to be good the rest of the year when we're dealing with, you know, this situation, but this is a very, very good team that I think can go a long ways. I just, I just think that there is going to come a time where they're going to need a little bit more help with their emotions. Trey Wallace, you can check out the Trey Wallace podcast available now at outkick.com. Read his work there as well. Trey, thank you for the time, man. And we'll catch up soon. Guys, have a great week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trey. Yeah, Trey Wallace, SEC columnist for Outkick.com. Going with that Marlon Wayans classic, the sixth man with his movie reference. I, uh, Didn't see that one coming. You won't be shocked I haven't seen that. I've not I, either. <laughs> oh, I, I thought maybe you had. Chad's seen everything you, I, but I, that. I am interested in a lot of things, so I see a lot of things. I don't watch anything. <laughs> like I'm not going to watch 80 for Brady. Because right, it yeah. looks awful. I'd rather peel my own with eyelids waves. off with uh, some small scissors than watch that film. So I'm not going to watch it. So same goes for Sixth Man. The Tiger King is something we both watched, right? Yep. That did interest Binge me. That. Yes, Still it, does interest me. Yes. Uh, Carol Baskin is at it again. Details next and Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We were just like you. We binged the hell out of Tiger King. Oh, yeah. That was peak and, pandemic yeah. quarantine level binging. It, like it's so, like, bizarre, uh, bizarre yet awful yet great. Very like, well produced. Know? Yes, Carol Baskin though just bothers me, and the, the whole like nonchalant attitude about her husband Don, who has gone missing like age what fifty nine. Yeah, he would be eighty four years old today, and she's claiming that. The Department of Homeland Security contacted her and said that he's alive after all this. Now, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, if you call them and ask, like, is there, can, can you please, you know, can, can we verify that her account is true? They say no, they haven't, no one's told them any different on the missing person, but he's legally dead. And it's because they, they had no trace of him for five years. And of course... Uh, so right now, it's just Carol Baskin saying that Homeland Security contacted yeah, her? Yeah, Big Cat Animal Rescue, yeah. Yeah. Are we buying this? No. Okay. No, but that, that, that's the, the headline now. I didn't read now the story the enough, but I just saw the headline and everyone reacting to it. So I assume that it was Homeland Security announcing he was alive in Costa Rica. But now that I know it's just Carol Baskin claiming... That Homeland Security told her that he's alive. I, I don't. I don't think I'm buying it. Now, 
If you were married to Carol Baskin, though, Costa Rica sounds great uh, to get away, just completely fake your own death and disappear and into Central America. That's not a bad route to go if you're married to Carol Baskin. Well, so there's some uh, interview with ITV, the This Morning talk show on ITV, where she alleged that you know her husband, who was legally uh, declared legally dead in 2002, was found alive. And she points to, in this interview, being contacted in a letter from the Department of Homeland Security. But it's been over a year since she did this interview, and it's just now coming to light that she had been claiming that he, had, he was found alive. The whole thing is bizarre. It's a story that we're going to monitor here on OutKick 360, and we'll have any updates for you <laughs> with our sources within Homeland Security. We'll reach out to them and see what we can find out. I mean, the, the whole thing. It, I want a statistic on the, the claim, you know, that uh, she fed him to the tigers and all that. I want a statistic on people who have successfully faked their own deaths that we know about, because I'm guessing 40, 50 percent we never find out about. If you're truly successful in faking your own death and you don't want to be found, yeah, you just kind of exist as a ghost, you know, without a home, and you go or you go somewhere and disappear into that area. But yeah. how many people I, actually pull it off? That's been documented. That would be a great series. This is the Netflix series that I, I want every episode, Hutton, to be a different person that successfully pulled off faking their own death. I'd watch that series, that anthology series. I wonder what Joe thinks about all this, too, by the way. I'm sure someone can get a camera <laughs> somewhere around him, and he'll talk about it. Headlines will return, including Greg Roman. He's out as the Ravens' offensive coordinator.